This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 385. Desperation. Yeah. It wasn't until mm-hmm. I had the desperation. It wasn't until like I had just been working the nine to fives, working and working and working and got years and years of that where I was not happy and and knew that I had to find another way, but it wasn't desperate. So yeah. it wasn't until I got desperate that oh, I love it. I became willing to do anything. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everyone? It's Brandon Turner, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here for another phenomenal show with my co-host, Mr. David Green. Welcome back to the show, David Green. Thank you, Brandon. This is a a really, really good show. We have an inspiring story today of a person who overcame a lot of like tough life obstacles to make it uh, in success in real estate. And I personally had a really good time listening to the story. Yeah, yeah. Really, really powerful stuff. This we're actually interviewing a guy named Greg Gaudet. And Greg is actually my business partner out here in Maui where we flip houses together. Uh, so we actually did this recording, like he's in my shed, my my sea shed here, uh, chatting with us. And I honestly didn't even know. 80% 80% of this story uh, that I'd heard glimpses of it over the years of getting to know Greg, but man, just, it floored me the, the, what he overcame in his life to get to where he is today. So really good stuff. So make sure you guys hang tight for that today. Before we get to that, let's get to today's quick, quick tip. Quick tip is very simple. Today, Greg talks about a vision board. And now if you know what a vision board is, some of you might be like, you know, that sounds cheesy or that sounds amazing. Maybe you do it. Maybe you don't know what it is. You'll hear about what it is today. But basically, my my quick tip is try a vision board. Grab a bunch of old magazines and a big you know piece of paper, like a large you know like three foot piece of paper, and uh, try to plan out what you want your vision of your life to look like a few years down the road. You'll hear more about why that's important later with Greg uh, and his Porsche. But uh, hang tight for that. If you're in the landlord game, then you know the importance of solid tenant screening. That's where Rent Ready steps in. Now, Rent Ready's got an important new feature. Proof of income verification. And get this, with Plaid certified reports, you'll see everything from income summaries to total earnings by month. Say goodbye to those gut check moments and hello to confidence in renting with RentReady. RentReady is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering a six month plan for $1. You can't beat that. I actually don't even know how they make money doing that, but it's above my pay grade, pal. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com. And use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like bigger pockets, investor, like me, to get six months of rent ready for $1, which is crazy. Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I lock my back door. How do I know my property is going to be safe while I'm away? But not anymore, thanks to Simply Safe Home Security. I'm about to go on a three week trip to Copenhagen, but am I tripping about my trip? Nope. With award winning security and peace of mind from Simply Safe, I don't need to worry. Simply Safe is a super amazing alarm system that I actually installed in my house myself personally in less than 30 minutes. And there's so much peace of mind knowing that there's something in place to protect my homes, my goods, and my John Mayer shrine. Simply Safe systems have high tech sensors that detect break ins, fires, and floods, indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch night and day, 24 7 professional monitoring at less than $1 a day. Plus, Simply Safe professional monitoring agents can even help stop crime in real time by speaking to intruders through the wireless indoor camera. Hey, hey, bud, get out of here. It's like that, but it's a lot better, I imagine. And if you buy the system and you don't love it, you can get a full refund with Simply Save's 60 day money back guarantee. 
Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with Fast Protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/pockets. There's no safe like Simply Safe. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com slash VP. Connectinvest.com slash VP. All right, here we go, guys. So we're going to get into this show. Make sure you guys listen. A couple of really powerful points today that Greg talks about. One, uh, he talks about his, you know, the addiction and homelessness he went through. He talks about why he doesn't really spend uh, any of the money he makes in real estate, which is kind of a really cool strategy. You'll like that. He talks a lot about condos. Now, condos is something that we kind of shy away from, like me personally. And so therefore, the show, we don't talk a lot about them. But we made a lot of money this year on condos. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, Greg and I, and really like just a ton of really good stuff. So keep in mind, this show was recorded pre coronavirus, but we caught up with Greg the other day. I mean, I see him every single day cause we work together and like really everything here stands the exact same today as it did three months ago. In fact, he's very risk adverse. He knew just like we've been talking about for a while that a recession was going to hit. And so the way he invests is to make sure he's not, you know, uh, caught, in a, in a risky situation. So you're going to hear more about that, about how he does that, how he burrs, uh, and, uh, some of that stuff there. So without further ado, let's jump right into the interview with Greg Godday. What's up, man? How you doing? What's up? Thanks for having me on the yeah, show. Yeah. Welcome to the sea shed. Thank you. Yeah. So we're going to go through your story today. And to be honest, I don't even know a lot about your story pre like last year. You know, we've had a few surf sessions out there in the water talking about your story. And I was like, dude, we got to get you on the podcast. Uh, so let's just start early on. Like, tell us about yourself before getting into real estate and kind of how you got into it. Yeah. So, um, well, I'll just give a, a, a quick summary of where I come from. Grew up in Miami, Florida, and I grew up in a upper middle class family, kind of had picture perfect childhood, an amazing dad. Uh, my dad was the senior vice president of real estate finance and development for Carnival Resorts and Casinos. And uh, so he was a, a real estate developer, amazing man, but he passed away when I was 14 years old. So I Ooh. didn't really get to learn much uh, from him on the real estate front. But uh, so obviously that was devastating. I was 14 years old and my life was completely flipped upside down. My personal reaction was I spiraled completely out of control. I got into all kinds of trouble. I, I, uh, you know, in order to cope with the pain, I guess I, I went out and, and just caused any trouble I possibly could to escape myself. That resulted in me and ultimately being addicted to drugs and alcohol. And, uh, it got pretty bad for a while. Um, and that's kind of, I'm really grateful for that because that has led me to exactly where I am today. And today I have an incredible life. I kept beyond my imagination. And yeah, so during that time I did 
discover real estate okay. while I was struggling with drugs, which was over like a 12 year period. It was a long time. And I first discovered real estate when I was 19 years old, right out of high school, I became an appraiser and instantly fell in love with the industry. And I, I knew that's what I was going to do. I knew it was real estate. I didn't know in what, you know, at that time I thought I was going to be an appraiser for my life, for, you know, my entire life. But obviously, you know, well, that was in 2003. And in 2006, 2007, I was 22, 23 years old. I was the newest, you know, youngest intern status kind of appraiser and lost my job. So um, that also kind of fueled my addiction to get even worse. And I went back to school at that time. Well, tried to go back to school, kind of struggled, just was lost for a long time. Ultimately ended up overcoming addiction. And that has, uh, once I kind of was able to turn my life around, that's when I kind of got back into real estate. I had dabbled in and out of working in real estate throughout that whole time, but, uh, and I'd always, always been fascinated and obsessed with investing in real estate, but never had the education or the, I didn't have the skill set. I didn't know how to invest or where to even get started or let alone have funds or, or, you know, any way to actually do it. So, um, that all changed in 2016. I made my first vision board, which I'm glad you mentioned in the quick tip because I'm a huge advocate for vision boards. I believe that vision boards and podcasts are what changed my life. So I made a vision board in 2016 that had two kind of specific things that stand out to me is that it had a picture of a bunch of properties that were symbolized rental properties to me. And then it also had a picture of a single family home that symbolized a single family home that uh, me and my wife, Jamie, had been wanting to build our own home at that time. Less than a year later, I owned my first rental property and we had our house being built. That's something I never could have imagined. You know, when I made that vision board, I never could have fathomed how I could ever possibly actually purchase a rental property, let alone build a house for us to live in. Um, And I, I attribute that all to the vision board. And then ultimately after making the vision board, something in the universe happened where one day all of a sudden I had never listened to a podcast. You know, I'd heard the word podcast. I didn't even yeah. know what a podcast was. And I one day was like, let's see if there's a podcast about real estate. And so that's how I found bigger pockets. And that's awesome. um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of how I got started. Yeah. All right. So there's a few things I want to dig into here. First of all, this is totally non-real estate related, but I'm joining. There are people that are listening to the show right now that are struggling with things like addiction and, and problems. Like what, what do you think was the key to overcoming that? Like, was there like, you, just, you shifted your mindset, you grew out of it. There was somebody that came alongside you. Like, is there any, like anything that, and, and I know it's a very, you know, you read books on that topic, but like anything that people listen to the show that might be dealing with that might they learn from your journey. You know, like you said, you could just go on for hours about that. For me personally, I believe that it just hitting rock bottom mm, yeah. is what did it for me. And, and you know, some people are like have this event that just changes their life. For me, it wasn't one event. There was multiple events. You know, I've been in jail. I've been homeless. I've overdosed. You know, I've had my mom find me yeah. not breathing without a pulse and give me CPR. <clears throat> that was wow. a big life-changing event. Um, but all, all of those things happened within some, maybe a year or so of each other. And I didn't stop instantly after one of those, but yeah. that was the process of me getting to where 
I yeah. needed to be to to know that that was not the life for me. Now, yeah. I also had a, a period of, I first went into recovery when I was 22 years old. So when I lost my job as an appraiser, actually, but I didn't change my life at that time. Mm-hmm. That's when I realized that I wanted to change, but it was from then until I was uh, almost a probably eight year period of me struggling to try to get better and getting worse and worse and worse, but also getting these spouts of being sober for yeah. longer and longer periods until ultimately. Yeah. Wow. You know, this kind of reminds me of the conversation you and I had last night about how most people won't change or make really big progress in life until they feel desperate. Yeah. And desperation comes in lots of different ways. Sometimes it's like a financial desperation. Sometimes it's an emotional one or a relationship that went wrong. Sometimes it's just like this, this ache inside that you're lonely and you want a different kind of a life. But all of us have a desperate version of ourselves that lives very deep inside. And most of the time we don't connect with it because we're trying to numb it with everything. And in your case, you shared, you know, there was substance abuse, but that's not a different pattern than everybody else. There's people that are addicted to, to buying things online. There's people that mm-hmm. are addicted to food. There's people that are addicted to attention, right? And I think like what Brandon and I were talking about was that if you really want to be successful, you usually already have the pieces inside that you need. You're bearing them and you're drowning them with something to numb it. And when you stop doing that and you get to that desperate part of you, you'd be amazed how much motivation you actually have. When we hear new investors talk about, oh, I just can't get started. I'm scared. No, you're just not desperate enough because when you're desperate enough, you don't care. And the second thing I want to point out about, I really like about your story was that you admitted, I didn't just get clean. And then that was a part of my life that was over, right? There was times that you regressed back into that habit and then you fought your way out of it and you regressed back. That is actually much more comparable to what the journey of an entrepreneur looks like. I had some success and then I screwed up. I had some success and then I got left by my hire. I had some success and then I got too big headed and I tried to invest in something I didn't understand. It is a process of successes and failures being combined together that we go through as real estate investors before we get to the point where like Brandon, yeah. he's, he started a fund right now. And you have to be okay with that. If you have this idea, if you're a perfectionist and you live in that world where everything has to be perfect, you're just never going to make progress. The real journey looks like I got in shape and then I fell off the wagon. I got in shape again. I fell off the wagon. It's that going and quitting and going and quitting that builds the muscle up that eventually it becomes a habit. And once it's a habit, now you're on the way to success. Yeah, that's deep. Yeah. yeah and I think the thing I like about your story was that what you're saying is during that process of fighting, you fell in love with real estate, right? It didn't just walk in your life and change your life, but you found something that you loved. It woke something up inside you and you clung to that like an anchor, no matter where your, your substance issues were kind of taking you. Right. And by the way, thank you for sharing that. I think that's incredibly brave. Tell us what that feeling was like when it woke something up inside you and you knew I love real estate. What thoughts were you thinking? What were you going through? Well, when it first happened, I mean, like I said, I was, when I was 19 years old and started doing appraisals, I specifically remember an encounter where I was living in Miami and I pulled up to, I was doing an appraisal on a total war zone property. And this kid was the owner borrower pulled up to meet me and some ridiculous car, like a Ferrari or something. And, you know, I know that the, uh, material things are not important, but as a, one thing that I shared with my dad is the love of cars. So we were very passionate about cars and some people might think driving a Ferrari is silly, but (laughs) there's, I appreciate. Was that uh, on your vision board, by the way, a Ferrari or something like Not a Ferrari, but a Porsche. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. My dad was a major Porsche fanatic and that was something I put on my vision board that I never again, ever could have imagined 
how I could ever buy a Porsche. But didn't I? Yeah, just see your. <laughs> didn't I just see your Porsche drive up my driveway like yeah. an hour ago? Right. So we'll get we'll get to that story. Yeah, we'll get to. Yeah, that, we're gonna get there. Yeah, make vision boards. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so you saw this guy, this kid, yeah. pull up, and and he had achieved some like huge level of success already. Yeah, and that just symbolized to me the freedom mm-hmm. that obviously this guy's doing something in real estate that's providing him with the freedom to live the life he chooses to live instead of living the life he has to live. Mm -hmm. So that was sparked something inside me. It was always in there. It was kind of dormant for a while. Ultimately, like I said, in 2016, when I, when I made that vision board, I, I think I was at a point where I just couldn't imagine going to work every day for somebody else. I, I, I can't like that is ultimately cannot let, I would not live that life. I'm not okay with that. Like living my entire life, waking up and going to work and being at work for somebody else all day, every day. I'm a, I'm actually personally have a big philosophy that we should not be working 40 hours a week, five days. You know, we should, uh, we should have a much healthier balance, but if I'm going to be doing that, at least I'm going to be doing it for me and having the freedom to make my own choices. That's cool. That's cool, man. All right. So let's walk through that first deal. I mean, you said you made the vision board and then, uh, you know, a year later you had bought your first rental. What was that like? I mean, where did you buy that first? Was that here on Maui? It was. Yeah. And so um, Maui's crazy expensive though. I mean, most people would say you can't buy in Maui if you're, if mm-hmm. you're just getting started, it's just too impossible. And people are saying that about San Francisco, about the Bay Area, New York, California. I mean, pretty much every city in America, they're saying you can't do it. It's too expensive. Mm-hmm. How did you pull that off? Yeah. So I did know, again, you know, I practiced real estate here in Maui for my first five years here or so. And, um, like real estate appraiser or agent, or I was, uh, I did real estate escrow okay. at a brokerage. I was, a, you know, a transaction coordinator. Okay. Uh, my title was escrow manager at, at a high end, uh, top producing brokerage here in Maui. So I learned a whole a lot there. That was an incredible experience. And then I went into vacation rental management. So I managed uh, short-term rentals here okay. in Kihei, actually. Um, I managed 70 units for a few years and learned a little bit of a different side of the, the business there. And uh, actually, I remember making a comment while I was a vacation rental manager to my broker at the time uh, about this one particular building that is like the only place on Maui that anybody that doesn't have a couple million dollars sitting in the bank could, yeah. could afford to purchase. <laughs> and you know, I'd, I'd mentioned to her, Hey, you know, what do you think about this place? Like they're selling for at the time, $70,000 for a two bedroom wow. condo, which is crazy. Cause the average, I think the median sales price on Maui right now is seven, seven something condos. I think the median or average sales price is in the five hundreds. Right. Yeah. So it's just this one building. There's a couple buildings like that, but there's not a lot. Sure. So I made a comment. She had said, Oh, you know, basically bashed on it, said, this is, you know, you want nothing to do with this place, not whatever. Um, And I, you know, I kind of believed her, took her advice, like stay away from it. Uh, (laughs) You you can't get mortgages there. Like, you know, it's just, it's useless. Forget it. So I listened and, but it was still, I always, every time I drive by it, I just say, man, like you can buy these things so cheap. And and in my head, I'm like, "And, and if you rent it out, like you can cover the expenses. I don't understand why people aren't buying these things. And uh, ultimately that is, uh, I, I didn't know how to analyze a deal also at that time. So sure. I'm just in my head thinking, okay, maintenance fees are 500, rents are this much. And it seems like it makes sense in my head. But again, it wasn't until I made the vision board, listen to the podcast and your 
video on how to analyze a rental property. Oh, the one on YouTube, the viral one the on YouTube. Yeah, the four square one. Yeah. So I found that. <laughs> yeah. 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 That thing that's got like two million views now or something like that on YouTube is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. We'll put a link to it in the show notes, by the way, at uh, biggerpockets.com slash show. For the four of you that haven't already seen yeah, it. Of for, yeah. For, <laughs> two million views. There's a few. All right. So you found the video, started learning how to analyze deals a little bit. Yeah. And I had been making offers on MLS listings, okay. which, by the way, I had done, I had been doing since I was working at the, the brokerage doing escrow stuff. I had made offers and I thought that investing in real estate meant buying something like lowball offer, get something for a good price, and then you've got equity. And then in a year, you're going to double your equity and sell yeah. it and you'll have a million dollars. Uh, <laughs> what year was this you mentioned? This, well, when I was making those offers was yeah. 2012. And I'm okay. kind of, you know, it's too bad I didn't pull the trigger. I walked away from a deal over $5,000. So it was a condo on Front Street in Lahaina. Oh. They wanted 85000 I offered seventy five. She countered eighty, And I said, no. Nah, How much bad. is that place worth now? Three fifty. Oh. Okay. <laughs> this is why I asked because I knew that was coming. As an, as an agent, I see this from my clients all the time. Yeah. There's a deal we're trying to buy with $100,000 of equity and the seller doesn't want to replace the roof and they'll walk away from it over ten grand. It is so easy to get caught up in the, the money that you think you're losing because that's what screams the loudest, yeah. right? Yeah. This can hurt me and that's what you pay attention to and miss the the money you could have paid 185 for that and <laughs> and this isn't a pick on you right because we've all oh, been there yeah. man every one of us have done this but one of the ways that you get over the fear of investing in real estate is to take yourself out of what i feel right now and say 20 years from now looking back what will i wish i did yeah, yeah. and that five thousand dollars won't even be a, a thought in your mind at that point and it's hard it's hard to do that because your emotions don't live in the future they live right now and that's what you have to deal with how much do you think that five thousand was a dollar <clears throat> issue and how much of you think do you think it was a fear issue like if you're looking I back think on that it was a lack of education issue okay i didn't know that i could just rent the condo out mm -hmm. i was buying it as an owner occupant mm -hmm. yeah. you know i was gonna live in it and i thought in two years it'll be worth more and I'll sell it and then I'll move up into a house and then yeah. I'll sell that. And, you know, that's what I thought was all appreciation and speculation. I also, in 2012, had no education on, you know, economies, like the market, what was yeah. going on. And on the fear topic, my fear was that we're in a, a dead cat bounce right now and it's about to really drop. Yeah. You know, I thought if that happened. I remember that was a big fear back then. Yeah. yeah. All right. So 2012, you start, you, you start kind of getting into it. So making offers back out, you, you know, you, you, you lose a deal. And then you said 2016 is when that first deal, cause that when that first condo came in uh, like when you bought, I think I actually closed out in 2017. Okay. But 2016 is when I started doing the leg rest when I was listening to all the podcasts I was okay. listening to you and a couple others. And um, a couple other oh, you cheated on me. <laughs> this is why you didn't buy that deal. You yeah. had too many voices in your head that weren't Brandon Turner. That's like, they cost you so much money. No more. Nope, you, you listen to more. Brandon, you listen to David and that's all you listen to. <laughs> all right. So 2016, 17, you're listening to us. And that first condo that what's funny is you were saying that people were saying you shouldn't buy there. Can't get a mortgage there. And this is the truth I want to bring out here because we've all heard like stories of people like, you know, you really shouldn't invest in real estate. Uncle John, everyone's got an uncle who lost his shirt in real estate at some point. I mean, there's all these like, Stories. In fact, I was just sitting there talking to my, my one of my buddies yesterday, a, a couple that live here in Maui, and they were talking to this old gentleman at church, and they were asking. He was a lawyer, the old lawyer has been a lawyer for you know fifty years, and they're asking him, like they basically said, "Hey, we've got these rental properties, and they got them in Utah, and they're like, we're we're trying to figure out if we should put them in LLC." And the guy just went off for 45 minutes about how they shouldn't buy rental properties because they're a horrible idea and rentals only make people lose money. 
And she was just like this, like, that's why you can't listen to people sometimes. Like, you know, we talk about mentors, but like even mentors, like, you know, is it listen to them because some people just don't know what they're talking about. Even if they're a lawyer or a doctor or a CPA or whatever, yeah. it's, it's hard when you just take people's advice for, I, I'm guessing know. the person that told you, you want nothing to do with this property. Did you mention what they did for work with a real estate agent? She was a real estate broker. Knew it. <laughs> I knew it. And this is why I'm saying that because from her perspective, she was giving you honest, good advice. That would be a very hard property for her to sell. And she knows it might sit on the market for a long time. So from her perspective, this is a bad deal. But from an investor perspective, that's completely different. Which agents don't have an investor perspective. No, they don't think that way, right? And contractors don't have a way of looking at it like that. And neither do appraisers. It's great to get feedback from these people, but you got to take it for what it's worth, right? This would be a hard house for you to flip is basically what she was telling you, or it'd be a hard house for me to sell. So you don't want to buy here. Or it's not somewhere you want to live. Or it's not somewhere you want to live. That's But someone else isn't going to mind living there, right? Like we just go through this all the time. It's good to get advice. It's not good to just say, tell me what to do and I'm going to follow you. Understand the perspective that advice is coming from and weigh it as like, as a lot of different information that's coming in. Yeah. yeah, I got the same advice from a mortgage broker. I think we were talking about yesterday. Yeah. My one of my lenders on my second loan, buying in the same kind of area, had said, "You know, you really shouldn't be doing this. Yep. <laughs> like, this is a bad idea." Yep. You know, but, and, and I you and know. he probably saw tons of people lose properties like that, yeah. Yeah. right? But he doesn't know how you live if you live beneath your means, right? You could be Brandon Turner sleeping on a couch, renting out four <laughs> bedrooms in your house, and you're not going to lose that property. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You definitely got to take advice with a grain of salt from everybody because there's well-intentioned people, even real estate investors, even mentors, family members, but we all have to live our own lives. So, okay. So yeah. you decided anyway, at some point you decided to go forward and move. So what was that first yeah. deal like? So that first deal was a foreclosure. A girl that I had spoken to that actually lived in the particular building, which is a large building. There's a lot of units there. So it's, it's popular, it's well-known and it's a popular place for people that don't make a whole lot of money. Yeah, It's not a nice building, but it's not horrible. You know, it's, it's just, uh, anyways, this girl lived there. She was in real estate, like property management, I think kind of, you know, not, not very far along in her career, but, um, she had pointed out this one particular unit to me that was a foreclosure and, you know, it was like a no contingency kind of deal. There's a lot of risk involved in it. And she ha- knew how to get that deal. She knew the steps that I had to take to get to the bank and went, you know, basically buy the property. Yeah. So I, you know, she'd mentioned it a couple of times and I was telling her about the ones on MLS I wanted to buy. And she's like, you I really think you should go after this one. I kept thinking, no, no, it's, I don't know about it. It's scary, you know, and yeah. looking back, there's so many things that should have gone wrong, <laughs> but I, I took the steps and, and I took the risk and it, it, it happened to work out. Although even if it hadn't worked out, I'm I'm glad that I did it because had it not worked out, I still would have learned a whole mm-hmm. lot. And yep. it's not like I would have lost everything. Yeah. You know, I would have lost, you know, maybe a few thousand dollars. Yeah. But yeah, and, and another important detail, you were mentioning Brandon being homeless and living on a couch and all that. I actually so that's an important part of my story is that throughout that entire time from 2012 basically until now, still not so much in the last six months, but I've lived extremely frugally. Yeah. I'm very careful with my spending. I live below my means. And that's one of the ways that I was able to actually purchase that rental property. So like, I, you know, when I was working at the brokerage making 60 something thousand a year or so, I was bringing peanut butter jelly sandwiches to work 
yeah. every single day. Actually, I'd like to dive into that if that's okay with you guys, yeah. mm-hmm. because I'm in a very similar situation. I don't need to live nearly as frugally as I do, right? I'm house hacking my primary residence. I drive a Camry. I'm not driving a very nice car. I don't have hardly any expenses other than food for the most part. And it's not like I have to do that. What I realized is that I do that because of the emotional impact it has on me to feel more brave, to be more aggressive with what I'm investing. Yeah, I'm always thinking worst case scenario, like many of our listeners are. I sound like, oh, just screw it. Go buy a house. It's not <laughs> like that at all, right? I think what is the worst thing that could happen? I would have to make that mortgage and I wouldn't be getting any money. What if that happened on 10 houses at the same time? And if I think, oh, I don't like how that sounds, I won't be bold and I won't be aggressive pursuing deals, which is the number one thing that will cost me money. Mm -hmm. So I know if I'm living way beneath my means, I can prepare for that worst case scenario that's never going to happen. But it gives me the emotional confidence to aggressively go after the deals. So by eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, you're making yourself hundred thousands of dollars a year. You're not just saving the money on what I would be spending if I went out to eat for lunch, right? You're actually going to take action to go buy more deals. And more people need to think about that. If you're having a hard time moving forward, ask yourself why that is and what you can change about your life so that you'll feel more comfortable doing it. And at a certain point, you'll have so much income and so much equity that you'll let those things buy the stuff that you weren't doing, like a Porsche. You know, to throw out one, uh, to add to that, a lot of people, I think, see people like myself, right? Like we're here in this stupid, nice, like area of Maui, like ocean view, pool. I got my Tesla out there and they see like Brandon has a lot of nice stuff, but like, I don't think... Like, I want to make sure people realize, like, I only increased my lifestyle with the income I was making off passive Passively. income. Yeah. So I didn't, like, my wife and I were still living in, like, a $80,000 house and house hacking everything for years. I mean, we lived in a church parsonage for free and exchange for free fixing up. That was, like, seven years ago. It wasn't that long ago. It was, like, right before I started uh, at Bigger Pockets. So, like, we were, like, we only expand our lifestyle as we make more passive income. And that's how I want to, like, I would encourage other people to look at it. It's not, hey, I made more money at my job. I'm going to go spend mm-hmm. more money. Or I made more money, you know, whatever. I'm going to go spend it because it'll make me want to. Yeah. Yeah. You expand as you bring in more. We talk about this between each other all the time. Your net, your vertical income does matter. It doesn't, don't say it doesn't matter, but all that vertical income is meant to invest in real estate or invest in something. And then what you do is you live off of the income that comes from the investment. Yeah. That's very easy to like, and and it actually kind of puts a governor on how crazy your spending can get out of hand. Because if I want nice things, I got to be a better investor. It's not, I got to go make more money. Because if you're just spending the money that you make, you're not getting anywhere. You're working really hard to have nice things and you got to go work hard again. When you work really hard and invest it, that investment can buy you a new car every three years. It can pay for the vacations you're taking. It can pay for the the house in Maui that you're living in. That principle, I wish more people understood. Can we fast forward actually to the end of your story real quick? And then we'll go back and revisit the journey on there. So you drove up. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, please. You know, living below your means thing. That Porsche that we just kind of met. Yeah, that's where I want to go to. Um, That by the way, I think it's important to mention the only reason I bought it first off is because my truck broke down. My, I was driving a 15 year old truck, you know, piece of junk and broke down for the third time in three months on Christmas day. Mm-hmm. And my mechanic said, you got to get rid of this thing. So that's mm-hmm. why I started looking for a new car. And I was like, I wasn't even going to sell it, but he convinced me. He's like, you need a new car. Yeah. And I bought that Porsche cash. And I say that not to brag. I, I say that because I think it's important to not over leverage first yeah. off. And also I, I did that as a way to reward myself for all the hard work I had done because mm-hmm. I'm not taking And keep yourself motivated to do yeah. more hard work. Yeah, that's right? exactly where I wanted to go with that. That's like, make you money. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have this, yeah, you have this portion now. You got it because I mean, like, I'm not kidding you guys. Like Greg worked harder than I think every, any person I've ever seen work on managing a flip before. And he did it on two of our recent flips. And like, you deserve that Porsche because like Thanks. you, you, you hustled and you didn't go and finance it. And now you got, you you're strapped in a job longer because now you got all this high payment. You paid cash for it. You bought even a reasonable like price, you know, like you, you, used, you got it, a good yeah. deal on it. You shot for it. You know what you're doing. So again, you used the asset that you made out of thin air. And we'll talk about that in a little bit, how, how that happened to buy you that vehicle. Mm-hmm. And the same way I talk about the Tesla, I bought a rental property that pay, pays for the payment. It's the same concept. So I just want to bring that up again. Like you can have nice things as a real estate investor, just get your assets to pay for them mm-hmm. rather than, you know, dishing out more money in a, in get a, your assets and gear. Yeah, get your assets get and gear. <laughs> All right. So let's, let's go back a little bit. Let's rewind. So you got, you got this first rental property there at that at condo complex. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you started picking up a few more, right? I thought it would be a one year, two years, and then I'd get the next one. Yeah. And um, basically, I got that thing. I cleaned it up, rented it out, and the Foursquare analysis yeah. I found while I was in the process of purchasing it was kind of like the confirmation for me. It affirmed everything that I thought. The numbers were exactly what I had thought in my mind and done my own math. And, um, and so that worked out about two months after I'd closed on that another one came on the MLS that kind of caught my attention. I was like, Oh, that's interesting. I called the realtor just to kind of talk story and yeah. find out a little about it. You know, out of curiosity ended up going to see it again, just out of curiosity. It was a total distressed, like disgusting place. And uh, I ended up making an offer, getting under contract and buying it. So it went a lot faster than I expected. And you guys talk a lot about how the first deal yeah. is not to get you financially. Let's free, get that momentum right? going it's to get you going. Yeah. And that I, I can never understand that until I actually did it. And that first deal, boom, all of a sudden I was buying, you know, and then two months after that second one, I bought a third one. And uh, actually that second one, by the way, it was so bad that I brought, I was bringing contractors in to get estimates during escrow. And one of the, one of the contractors has this like shirt over his nose the whole time. <laughs> and he's like, Those are my we favorite. get outside and he's like, I, I can't help you with this. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I've not, yeah, I've not had a contractor reject. And they, and they were all bidding $10,000, <laughs> you know, like it's a small one bedroom condo. So yeah. it wasn't like a whole lot to do a full gut renovation. Ultimately I ended up doing the renovation, the whole rehab for about 2,200, I think. Wow. Yeah. Something like that. But that's, the, that's the thing I love about condos is that condos are a little bit easier, especially in a place like that, like the little smaller condos uh, can be a little bit easier to, to rehab. So yeah. now like we talk about condos, especially like back when Josh was on the podcast every week, he would complain about condos all the time. Well, wow, condos are horrible because he had some really bad experiences with condos, mm-hmm. uh, especially HOAs can be difficult. So what's been your experience now owning your own multiple now units in this uh, in, in, in condo? So mm-hmm. what's that been like being with the HOA? Are they driving you crazy? Um, <laughs> I'm on the board, so okay. I kind of am the HOA. Okay. <laughs> no, I got... I, was that a conscious choice well, though? Because you owned a bunch yeah, there. No, like, I, I'm at gonna... that point, I had five, uh, four or five units there. And I chose to get on the board, although it's not, I don't recommend serving on the board to anybody, (laughs) (laughs) especially, you know, anyways, (laughs) I I chose to get serve on the board because I have a vast majority of my net worth and life savings invested in that place. And it's important for me to protect my investment. So that's why I serve on the board condos. Yeah. There's a lot, a lot, a lot you need to know about condos before you buy one. Personally, my background was in condos, except in Miami, I, you know, doing appraisals, I did a lot of single family. I did a lot of condo conversions at the time. That was the thing in Miami. But once I got to Maui 
and did escrow, we were doing all the high end condos in kind of Poly Lahaina. Um, so I did, I learned a lot about condos then, and then doing vacation rentals in Kihei. I yeah. learned a whole lot about condos. So I understand condos. I understand the HOAs. I also work with, and uh, I serve on the condominium capsule of Maui, uh, which is an educational f- seminar program for condo associations, okay. board members and all that. And so I have a good foundation to invest. In so in other words, you just didn't, you didn't just wing it. You were like, I'm going to go invest in real estate. Now I'm going to go buy a condo and just wing it with no education. Like you, you first learned, you, you earned while you learned, you know, you had a job in the space. Uh, you, you joined a board because you're, you're invested in it. So again, I just, I love that whole thing of like, this is your life. This is your thing. You're going to put effort into it. What drives me crazy is when people like they, they know real estate is one of the most important things they can ever do in their entire life. Like up there with like getting married, having kids and like investing in real estate is so important because it, it can help you save 30, 40 years off your life of working for the man. Yet people don't put even like 10 minutes of work or education or protection against any of that. It's, it's, it blows my mind how little effort people put into one of the most important decisions they ever make uh, in, in terms of investing in real estate. So, and I'm a great example of that in 2012, when I was making those offers, yeah. you know, I was talking to my broker and I thought he was my great, my best source of information. Mm-hmm. Had I just Googled how to invest in real estate, <laughs> I guarantee one of the first things to pop up be bigger pockets. Yeah. And I would have, that, that would have been life changing. Well, but, it makes me wonder how many of the naysayers, because there's plenty of them out there yeah. that say real estate's terrible. They had yeah. a bad experience, did zero yeah. like due diligence on yeah. what they were getting into, but they had an expectation that real, I don't know what it is about real estate that people think it should work different than everything in yeah. life, right? <laughs> You'd never date someone you knew nothing about and be surprised when it went bad if you if you married yeah. them. You would never show up to a jujitsu class with having zero experience and think that you were going to be really good at it. At least yep. a normal person would. But with real estate, there's this idea <laughs> that you should just buy a house and your property manager should just fix everything for like $114 a month yep. and make you millions of dollars without thinking about yeah. anything yourself. But it's like everything else. There's got to be a thing you have to learn. You have a specific personality that will work for certain aspects of how this whole thing goes. You found a niche. Condos are your niche. You focus really hard on your niche and you do really well, but you didn't really do that until you found that niche. You got to kind of play around for a little bit until you figure out, oh, this is where I'm really good. And then you put your foot on the gas and you go in that direction. So many people that complain and say real estate doesn't work. When I actually asked them about their experience, it was what you just said. I just bought a house because someone said I should. They bought the prettiest one off of Zillow in the worst neighborhood. Somebody else was laughing as they sold them this deal for way more than they ever should have. They didn't even know what cash flow meant. They didn't understand principles of investing or they bought in a terrible area and then they complained about tenants the entire time. Yeah. You know, and I've, I've yet to find a successful investor that doesn't say I had to learn something. It well, took me a minute to figure it out. On that, remember the story I said earlier about that? Yeah. The old, the old lawyer that was telling my friends they shouldn't invest in rental properties. He said to them, he said, yeah, I could never get my tenants to pay rent on time. I would have to show up to their house and be knocking on their door all times of day, the nights. And I'm like, okay, clearly this guy never read a single book on rental property management. Like you were showing up at their house day and night to collect rent. Like, of course you had a bad experience. Yeah. Like, what do you expect? It's like the same thing. Like, I don't know why that my, my marriage didn't work out. I mean, I never <laughs> met the lady. I just ordered her off the internet. Like, of yeah, course, like, exactly. The mail order bride side said that they were great. Yeah, I don't know. I got lied to. The whole thing's a scam. I'm never going to marry again. That's no. the same attitude we get with the that people that, that lost money in real estate, but never took any ownership over it with the role they played in their mistake. Yeah, that's so true. true. Okay, so Greg, so how do how, you said earlier that person told you you couldn't really finance deals in that in that complex. Mm-hmm. How were you able to finance these deals then? 
I called banks and asked if they'd lend. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That is preposterous. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Okay. No, there so. was a lot of legwork that went into sure. that. It wasn't as simple as, yeah, sure, we'll give you a mortgage. Sure. There was a lot of things I had to find out, the, specifically delinquencies. Because okay. it's a condo, one of the really important factors that the banks would consider is the delinquencies, which means the specifically the number of homeowners that are behind on their monthly HOA payments. Generally, now this is specific to my experience, but the banks would not want to really lend if there was more than 10% of the owners delinquent on maintenance mm. fees. This particular complex had been, you know, during the recession, a lot of people who are delinquent. Yeah. And, you know, this is a place where it's very highly investor occupied. So it's one that most people stop paying first, right? Like they, they pay their primary before they're going to pay for their rental yeah. property, right? So the, the delinquencies had been very high. And yeah, I'm sure during you know the bottom of the recession, there's no chance you'd get a traditional mortgage there. But uh, at this time, the delinquencies had gotten down. And that was something that I, I put a lot of time and, and work into figuring out. What, yep. what is it that the bank needs to be able to lend? And, you know, my DTI ratio, I had to figure out. I, I figured all that stuff out just by doing the legwork, calling the banks, talking to people and, and finding out what I needed to know. So this is one thing that I've always admired about you is that you are very aware of like lending criteria. Like when we have conversations, like we've even talked about like, you know, like, the more we develop this like flipping thing, like w if you end up like leaving, you know, a job or do you need like, income of different kinds? Like what's, what's that due to your debt to income? I guess we've had those conversations and you're always very aware. Well, that would put me at 65% or that would put me at 20. Like, you know, these numbers. And again, it goes back to what we're saying about, cause this is important to you. So why not know the rules that govern the game that you're playing? Mm -hmm. And again, so many people don't even know what DTI is, debt to income is. And that's fine. In the beginning, you don't know this stuff, but like go out and research it. Grab I love a book. How you just said that. Know the rules that govern the game. They know the why behind why you got told no. Mm -hmm. Like one of the things yeah. this comes up a lot is the Burr method. And I wrote the Burr book. So everybody asked me, I can't get a bank to lend to me within six months. How do I make them do it? Yeah. And, and none of them ever have asked the lender why. Yeah. Why is that your rule? Not, nobody yet. They come to us and they say, hey, tell us why. How, how do you get around this problem? But asking the question of the lender why, and then that will probably lead to follow-up questions. Oh, that's interesting. Tell me more. Tell me more. Let me understand the perspective of the person giving me the $150,000 when they don't know me at all. Yeah. What they must be thinking in this, it, it leads to so much information that now once that's in your brain, you can come up with the solution for your own problem. Mm -hmm. It's really that simple, right? Yeah. Just like follow that rabbit hill into to understanding the rules that govern the game that you're playing and know what that person's thinking. You should do that with your property manager. You should do that with the appraiser. You should do it with your contractor. How many people complain about contractors, but they don't know what a contractor's business looks like. They don't yeah. know how to propose a like, hey, let's work together in a way that works for both of us because they have no idea what the other person's job is. Yeah, I have yeah. happen all the time where a contractor says, we can't do that. We have to do this and it's going to be five times more expensive. And you say, why? Yeah. And they say, well, because blah, blah, blah. And I say, okay, well, then why don't we do this? And they say, Oh yeah. 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 All yeah. the time. Oh my yeah. God. All the time. All the time. Yeah. I see that as a real estate agent, it's the same thing, right? Like, okay, this doesn't work. Why? And they tell me, well, what if we did this? Okay. And yeah. it's so frustrating because you expect the other person to get, be bringing you the solution. Stop expecting that. No, when we, when we bought this house here, remember that whole thing? At, yeah. Like, with like, the stairs. Yeah. There were, there was a upstairs and a downstairs. They weren't connected inside. And the bank was like, oh, you have to have an internal stair, internal staircase. We can't find your deal. And so the agent was like, oh, guess we can't find the deal. And the other people were like, oh man, that sucks. And so I'm like, okay, well, what if we put a staircase in the middle of the house? And make the seller pay for it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then everyone's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I guess we could do that. Yeah. So 
zero dollars out of my pocket later, we had a staircase going and, up the end of the, the house. And the truth is, the lender, yeah. the the agent on your side, the agent on their side, this, yeah. everyone should have thought of that. Yeah. But if you put your success in their hands, what you're going to get is, nope, it doesn't work. And then yep. you're going to go cry and say, real estate doesn't work. Yeah. You benefited yourself by coming up with the solution and not expecting everyone else to do it. Like you took ownership of how do I do this? Yeah. And I cannot highlight enough how important that attitude is towards being successful. Like on our transactions, we're representing clients. My assistant, Chris, is trained to do both sides of the transaction. Like, okay, we're, we're the buyer. What's our job to order the, the appraisal? If you forget to do that, it will delay the thing. Well, the sellers, sometimes when I'm the seller, I actually check with the buyer's agent to say, did you order your appraisal? Is that my job? Not at all. But it behooves me to help them do their job. And it takes 10 minutes out of the day. It's such a good practice to get in. And now, no matter what I'm getting into, I assume that I will do everybody else's job until they convince me that I don't have to. And then those are the people you double down on. Yeah. Okay, this is a contractor I work with because they think of these ideas that I wouldn't be able to. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the whole asking them why and you were talking about banks and all that too yeah. because we were actually just talking about this yesterday. I'm in the middle of a burr right now where I have to wait six months yeah. to refi and I bought the unit cash. I have paid the rehab cash. Like it's, I'm all in on this thing and don't have a whole lot left yep. <laughs> until I refi this thing. So I'm going to call up the bank when we finish here and yeah. say, why, yeah, why, yeah. why do you, and the, the problem that I have is that I can refinance it right now, but they'll refinance it at my purchase Loan to cost price. probably not loan to value. Yeah. 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 And that's not going to help me very much. I mean, yeah. I'd rather wait. Six but you know what's cool about like the, the whole question of okay, well, how do I? Even if the bank says no, that's just our rule because that's a federal, you know, like the Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac rule or whatever. Okay, fine. Then you ask yourself the question: How do I do it anyway? For example, and I've done this on bird deals where I've put my own cash in to buy a deal. I put my own cash in to rehab it. Now I really need some money because I need to go buy another property or whatever. So then I just go buy, find a private lender That's and I'm like, familiar. hey, can I borrow money for six months while I'm waiting for the seasoning period? Put a lien period? on my house. Yeah, put a lien on the house. Investment. I just need my cash back. Oh yeah, that's probably, I mean, because like, that's even less risk than normal private money loan. It's already been rehabbed. I already did it. Here's the price, what it's worth today. Here's some comps that show that. It's already been rehabbed. I'm just trying to get my cash back for the next six months till I can refinance, maybe a year. Oh, okay. And like, it's such like, again, it's asking that question is what's going to get you. In fact, I can, I can even guarantee you, I can, like, there's people that you and I both know yeah. that would probably lend yeah. you the money if you really wanted it. Yeah. Like, because of the property's already been burned. It's like, yeah. it's like even less risk for them. So again, I don't have another deal. So I'm not, yeah. So you don't not, need it. You it's not, a, it's not you know, desperate yet. But, me, but a lot but, of but people, should, they talk about this being like a chokehold in their ability to grow their portfolio because this six month period, right? So what you're describing, what I just realized is let's say that you buy the house, you've got a hundred grand into it. You can't buy another house because that was all your money. You go get a bridge loan for the private money for 75, $80,000 that, that, that you can now use to buy the second deal that takes you two to three months to get ready. You do the same thing on that one. Two months after that, you refinance the first one. You're at your six month period. You're that can jump buy in for the next yeah. deal. Yeah. Who says you call the do- leapfrog method? You tried a book called the leapfrog method. I love David. you. You come up with the best things. <laughs> but yeah, all you're doing is 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 creating several different streams of income that all run in the same direction and leapfrogging each other. That's yeah. exactly right. That is not rocket science. I came up with that in three seconds of listening because we said why. Yeah. Right. And you're everyone else's brain that's listening will work the same way. You have to give it the problem. You have to like not just give up. Oh, I can't do it. Okay, this sucks. Real estate sucks and give into that negative kind of thinking. Yeah. And I'm sure somebody on the podcast is going to recognize the way around this is the delayed financing method, yep. right? Yep, that's an avenue. But, and I don't know if this is a national thing or just local to why I'm not super f- versed with this uh, delayed financing, but the HUD that 
the delayed financing method uses. So you, you just write on the HUD, you know, this is the purchase price, but we paid this in the rehab, I yeah. guess. And then the bank will, uh, I, I haven't actually done one, so I don't have a lot of experience with that, but they don't have that anymore in Hawaii. They stopped, Interesting. Ha- um, you know, there's no longer a HUD in, in a Hawaii escrow. Interesting. So that's, uh, things evolve, things change. Things change all the time. Now I got to find Which another way around it. goes back to that thing you said earlier about, uh, and then we'll move on and I want to talk about the flips here, but what we said earlier about that person saying, no, you can't go here because of, you know, you, or you can't, you can't finance in this place because she was probably thinking maybe delinquency is too bad. But things change constantly. And so even the rules that like somebody tells you, yeah, you can't do this because I mean, how many times do you hear people say today, I can't buy more than, how, how do you get more than four houses? I can't buy, have more than four houses in my name. I'm like that rule was like 15 years old, yeah. but it was changed to like 10 houses. And then it went down to like eight for a while, I think. And like, like, so true. yeah, like, yeah. like, but people still say, how do I get more than four houses on my name? And I'm like, it's not four anymore. That's so old. Mm-hmm. So just don't listen to like old rules that it's laziness, yeah. man. When I was yeah. a cop, I realized this because they would teach us how to do something. And then I'd say why, and they would be irritated. <laughs> right. And the answer inevitably came because that's the way we've always done it. Yeah. All the time there was this rule because that's the way we've always done it. And then I would dig into it and find out that's actually not a law at all. There's nothing that prohibits me and says I can't do that. When you got trained 30 years ago, that's what the laws were. And so the policies were put in place and the procedures for how to conduct a certain aspect of law enforcement activity based on those laws. Well, those laws change. So the foundation you've been standing on is not accurate anymore. I can do it this way, which is faster, more effective and better because I asked the question why. And I would see that like it's a common thing in, in real estate that if you write an offer for a house that the listing agent is not allowed to share that with other agents, totally garbage. There was a long time ago, I finally traced this down that when you wrote an offer, the actual contract would say, you are not allowed to share this with other agents. That's a part of the offer that I'm sending you. It was like a clause that was in there. Well, the California Association of Realtors took that out like 10 or 15 years ago. Really? But, but, but everybody still thinks that's the rule because when they got trained 20 years ago, that was the case. So I'll call an agent and I'll say, hey, we really want to buy your house. What's your best offer? We're going to beat it. And they'll say, I'm not allowed to share that with you. And I just like pound myself in the head. Like, why? Why do you think that? And then they get really uncomfortable and they just hang up the phone or they say, call my broker. They they don't know why. No. Somebody just told them. In other states. Could very that's well right. be the case. Not in California. Yeah. So, yeah. so ask the question of why. Say, yeah. why can't you tell me and make it their job to go get an answer that comes back? Because that's a really useful thing if you're trying to negotiate a deal to realize I can tell them, no, actually, legally, you can yeah. tell me that. And it's in your client's best interest because if you tell me, I'll give you a better offer. Mm-hmm. Why would you not want to do that if you thought you were going to get something more? But if you hear that story, I think I can't remember what book it might have been in traction where like the the daughter and the mom and the grandma are all cooking Thanksgiving dinner. And the daughter who's like, an old, you know, a grown up daughter, she takes the ham and she cuts off the very front and very end of it oh, and puts it in the pan and puts it in the oven. And then she's like, hey, mom, how come we always cut the front and back off the ham? She's like, I don't know. That's what grandma always did. So they call grandma and like, grandma, why do we always cut the front and back off the ham? She goes, oh, because the pan I had was too small and so it wouldn't fit. <laughs> and it was like in that oven. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like for like 80 years, this whole family generation is learn you cut the front and back off the ham and you're throwing food away yeah so again what are we learning from what are we applying that doesn't doesn't apply to our life anymore anyway good lesson listeners i'm telling you right now it's not every day you find a game changer like rent ready they're not stopping with just tenant screening they've rolled out proof of income verification let rent ready handle the heavy lifting with automatic checks on financial stability and earnings Plus, with Plaid certified reports, you'll have all the info you need right at your fingertips. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. And if you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for just $1. How great of a deal is that? That's one eighth of a Chipotle. That's pretty good. Visit rentready.com. 
That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I dot com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like bigger pockets, investor to get six months of rent ready for $1. Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door. How do I know my property is going to be safe while I'm away? But not anymore, thanks to Simply Safe Home Security. I'm about to go on a three-week trip to Copenhagen, but am I tripping about my trip? Nope. With award-winning security and peace of mind from Simply Safe, I don't need to worry. Simply Safe is a super amazing alarm system that I actually installed in my house myself personally in less than 30 minutes. And there's so much peace of mind knowing that there's something in place to protect my homes, my goods, and my John Mayer shrine. Simply Safe systems have high-tech sensors that detect break-ins, fires, and floods, indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch night and day, 24-7 professional monitoring at less than $1 a day. Plus, Simply Safe professional monitoring agents can even help stop crime in real time by speaking to intruders through the wireless indoor camera. Hey, hey, bud, get out of here. It's like that, but it's a lot better, I imagine. And if you buy the system and you don't love it, you can get a full refund with Simply Safe's 60-day money-back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash pockets. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The Wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's move on a little bit and talk about where we're at today. Mm-hmm. So, so you and I met at a bigger pockets, just a meetup. I think you even, I don't know if you hosted it, I hosted it or somebody hosted it. Uh, somebody else was they, hosting that one okay. that um, they kind of stopped doing, they got busy with their business and they stopped. So I started. Now you, yeah. Now you up. host um, one. There was no meetup. And I was always calling that person saying, Hey, schedule meetups, schedule yeah. meetups. Uh, so ultimately I just took the action and, uh, 
Yeah, now we have the, the monthly meet regular so. meetup at yeah, Maui Home Buyers. If you're in Maui, come out. In fact, actually, tomorrow night we're doing a meetup uh, at the beach, which is long after this uh, or long before this episode comes out. But isn't that how you guys met? So we met at a meetup. Yeah. Yep. And so, Greg, do you remember what you asked me like when we first met or how we met? Oh, well, yeah. yeah. How did how did Very you approach well. me? Yeah. So um, first off, well, I'll, I'll just give a quick summary that everybody knew you were coming, right? Like, I think you posted on the meetup or yeah, something. Yeah, I think I said like, I would be there. Because we had usually had maybe five to eight people at a meetup. This night, all of a sudden, there was like 35 people. <laughs> and we're like, who are all? It's my good looks and charm. It brings yeah, them out. We're like, they're all coming out of the <laughs> you know, bushes. And Okay, so, so I got there and I was very strategic about making sure that the only <laughs> two seats open were next to me. Mm. <laughs> That's funny. So as people would settle in and everybody's coming and settling in and I was making sure that I didn't know, know that. At first funny. I was making sure I was like kind of in the middle. So I'd be close to you, but all the seats filled up. There was two seats left and I just made sure that those two were on either side. That's of me. funny. You, you and Ryan came in yeah. and I was like, Oh, <laughs> there's some seats right here. <laughs> That's really funny. Um, yeah. So That's funny. And we talked basically the first half of the meetup, I think, and then at the end of the meetup, after we you know split up, I came up to you and I said, you know, because I had heard you on the podcast mentioning how you were getting into surfing and you were all excited about learning to surf and this and that. Mm. So I came up to you and said, I have been surfing my entire life. I was a surf instructor for like five years or something when I went back to school and and I'm going to mentor you in surfing. Yeah. And you are going to mentor me in real estate. <laughs> That's about how it went. Yeah. Yeah. And um, uh, how much yeah. more did you enjoy that than let me get you a cup of coffee and pick your brain? Yeah. Yeah. It was great. I was like, I, I want to learn how to surf and you knew exactly what I was looking for. So this is just a lesson yeah. for people. If you want to like yep. find a mentor in your area, great. Like mm -hmm. find out something they're passionate about or something that they, they want more of, or they need help with. And th that was a great trade. So I, we traded phone numbers that night. Mm -hmm. We chatted back. And at the time I was like, yeah, you know, like, it'd be great to go surfing with you. You're probably really, really good. So I'll probably learn a lot, but you'd already taken some action in real estate too, which appealed to me. So versus like, yes. Hey, will you teach yeah. me everything, you know, yes. it was like, Hey, I've already bought a bunch of properties. I own all, all these condos, but I want to know what you're doing and I want to learn more from you. And so that stood out yeah. to me. So uh, it, it took, like, teach me you yeah. know, how, how to analyze a rental. Yeah, exactly. Like, like the most you, basic can, stuff that's all. Can I comment there. on that for the people that are listening? Sure. This is a really important thing to understand when you want to find a mentor. All right. If I wanted to find someone to teach me how to invest in real estate, going to Grant Cardone is not the smartest move. If I want to learn how to practice jujitsu, going to Marcelo Garcia or like the best in the world actually does not benefit me because Marcelo does not remember whatever it is that I'm going through at this stage in yeah. his career. And anyone can show me that the fundamentals, right? So when you're trying to pick your mentor, you want to pick someone that's like a step or two ahead of you, not 25 steps ahead of you that you can't, they can't relate to you at all. And it's very hard for you to bring them any kind of value. What you're describing is someone who like, Hey, can you help me get in shape? And you're one of the best like training coaches in the, in the world, right? They're not showing up huffing and puffing because they can't even keep up with the workout. They have really good cardio. They have a really good base. They want someone to show them how to perfect the movements of whatever that they're trying to do. Yeah. And what you're saying is you knew enough about real estate already to be dangerous. You just needed Brandon to either add some fuel to your fire, tweak your game a little bit. I've noticed this with agents. If they don't know how to do anything and they come to me, I'm not really much help to them. Mm -hmm. If they're already selling 12 to 20 houses a year, I can get them to 50 to 60 so much easier. Mm -hmm. And I think about this a lot now. Like you don't just find the most successful person, you know, and say, be my mentor. You want to really find the right fit. And so the people we find that are successful in getting mentors, they were taking action before they found that mentor. You were doing something. So you had a good like foundation in what you were doing. And then when branding came, you guys kind of connected and you became partners. How would you describe what you saw in Greg? This is to Brandon that made, you know, oh, I want to work with this guy. 
Yeah. Uh, a couple things. One, it was the, I mean, the fact that you offered value, like you wanted to go surf. And I said earlier about the DTI thing, the fact that you knew these terms, like, oh yeah, my debt to income ratio was here and I got rejected from a loan because of this happened. Mm. And like, I'm like, oh, like you've read the books, you've read that, you've listened to the podcast, you understand the concepts. So I'm not like training you. And even then it wasn't like, will you be my mentor and, and hang out with me every week? And we'll, we'll, you know, sit down. It wasn't, there was no commitment there. I am so anti-commitment. Like, I mean, you guys know that, like, I don't ask my phone. I don't like to commit to anything because mm-hmm. I'm always like any commitment is, a, is any commitment to anybody is a no to my wife and daughter mm-hmm. and son. Yeah. That, that is right? how you look at it. Yeah. yeah. So everything I say yes to is a no to them. This thing right now that we're sitting here doing is a no to my wife and kid and, and, and my kids. And so, but you weren't asking for anything. You're just like, Hey, can I, you know, can I bounce ideas off you? Can we get together? Can I, can I learn from you? Uh, it was a very like, yeah, you know, we'll do that. Let's exchange phone numbers. And so over time, we just started hanging out at other meetups, talking more. And eventually, I don't even remember how it happened, but I wasn't even really at that point. So actually, just to correct a little bit, yeah, I had said, I think I had said, I can mentor you in surfing if you'll mentor me in real estate. Yeah. And you were like, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, and the very next day I heard in the podcast where you said you were both going on about, don't ever ask anybody <laughs> to be your mentor. That is the worst <laughs> way you can possibly. And I was like, oh, I that's funny. It. We got a lot of heat for that episode. Again. We did get a lot of heat, but I liked that that, but it's true. It helped no, you with, with Brandon though, right? Like yeah. the advice actually helped your relationship with him. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it is awkward. Like, Hey, will you mentor me? You know, like, well, what am I signing enough for? That's right? exactly like, what hey, you, everyone's going you know, through. What does that mean? Yeah. Hey, yeah. how about I'm going to, can I take you surfing sometime and ask you a couple questions about yeah. strategies in real estate? You know, we talk like a lot now about like how the apprenticeship method is not really a part of, of society, but it should be because yeah. that's the best way to learn anything. And that's just another thing. If you think I have no value to offer or I'm not yet there, go work for them for free. Yeah. Go see if you can do something that they need done well and actually learn something while you're there. But that was really good. So you recognizing Greg, this guy knows a little bit about what he's doing. He probably had to be kind of persistent knowing you. You yeah, probably, probably didn't want to commit. You probably blew him off a little <laughs> bit and he made you come back and like, hey, well, let's go surfing this day at this time. And then yeah. knowing Brandon, he probably didn't say no. Mm-hmm. So you guys are out there surfing and that's where the conversation happens. Yeah. After you, about six months, I was like, man, oh, for so much for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It took a little while for us to start hanging out and surfing and, uh, we started but doing that. We started because surfing, now, man. now you know this is a dude that doesn't quit easy. Yeah. Do you want to mentor a person that's going to quit after two weeks when it's, I mean, I've done that so yeah. many mistakes yeah. with people that I brought on to teach them something and they quit so easy and I vested all that time because you and I know we're going to give you our best. If we say we're going to work together, I'm going to mentor you. You're going to be on my team. I'm giving you everything I got, but I don't know if you can necessarily commit the same to me. Yeah. So by making you wait six months, by making it hard and you not quitting, you showed Brandon, dude, I'm not like a regular person here. I've done a little bit of this. I'm going to do it whether you help me or not. You want to get on board with what I'm doing. I was also sending him deals all the time. Yeah, yeah you, were. Deals, yep. you were. Just, right? Yeah, yeah. You and were I like some stuff. Stay top of mind. Yeah. I was like, man, I'm driving this guy nuts. This guy hates <laughs> no, I never thought right? that. I like to look at him. And so let, let, let me actually like say like I... I don't consider myself and I hope you don't consider me like I like I'm not your mentor. I'm your partner. Yeah. Like we do this together now and I learn as much from you as I hope you learn from me <laughs> because like we're doing this because you came with not just like the desire. You came with a massive amount of knowledge about the Maui market that I didn't have. And so here I am brand new to the island and I don't know anything about investing here. So most of what I've learned here came from you. And so it, it's worked kind of two ways in that that's helped. That's why we ended up working together. We've, we've now flipped two properties. I bought a wholesale deal off you and- we we did got a couple wholesales together. Too. Yeah, yeah, we did a couple wholesales together, and now we've got another one under contract right now that looks like a really good one. And uh, we started looking for deals. So I want to, I want to talk a little bit of just about those those two flips. So those were 
deals that you found. So first of all, how are we finding, de- how are you? Cause you're the one that you bring the deal like mm-hmm. to the table. I bring the money uh, and, and you bring the deal. How are you finding deals in today's market? There's not one particular method. Yeah, I feel like everything you know, we've done has been different. Like I but. think everybody <laughs> kind of wants to know like, yeah. where, yeah. where do you get the deals, right? Yeah. There's not, I can't, there's no answer. Where's the that, clearance right? section at the, at yeah. the store where yeah. I can just go buy it yeah. cheap. Yeah. yeah. It's everywhere. Right. Yeah. You got to shop Walmart, Target, like Best Buy. Mm. You got to go everywhere. We do a lot of marketing. Yeah. Watch MLS. We talk to realtors. We watch foreclosures. We watch yep. the, you know, the auctions are just everywhere. We have a website. Yep. Um, so how about this? When you're shopping, what are you looking for that you key in on? Motivation. There you I'd go. Say. Yeah. The Distress and motivation. Motivation. Yeah. Not always distress. So for example, a lot of people ask like, why are people selling you this house at this price? Yeah. Right? Especially the one we're doing right now, because yeah. it's a $1.3 million house that we're buying for a lot yeah. less than that. Yeah. And uh, the seller's not distressed. They're yeah. perfectly, you know, good standing. They're buying another property. Yeah. They want to buy this other house, another vacation house in Maui. And the seller on that one told them they have to close in 30 days. But that created a form of distress in their financial situation. Yeah. The the property's not, I guess not distressed in the, you know, the way. Yes. They yeah. They're not freaking out. They're not like, yeah. they're, they're not, not like closure. Yeah, exactly. They're not, mm-hmm. they're not, we're not taking advantage of anybody that we just simply have a solution, which yep. we can close. And fast. it's in yeah. their best interest to close fast. So they don't lose the next yes. deal. Yeah. They could get more probably putting on yep. the MLS. Selling they the could sit there for three, four months. That's exactly right. They know the value. They know it's worth 1.3 and they yep. think it's a little more but <laughs> everyone does. always do. doesn't yeah. but, uh you know they're okay with that and they they understand that this other property is worth the sacrifice yeah. to them so what you did was you found a, a car at the dealership that is worth much more but they'll sell it to you for less because they got a bunch of new cars coming in they need somewhere to stick it mm-hmm. and you're never going to just go and say what dealership do i get that at because mm-hmm. they don't want to sell it to you for less. You just happen to catch them at the moment by staying in relationship with them and being out there shopping that boom, you saw the opportunity that won't normally come up. You cannot predict when that's going to happen, mm-hmm. but you don't need to be. If you're out there doing your job, talking to people, connecting with people, what you what we call marketing or networking, which is really just letting a lot of people know what it is that you do, you'll be there when that opportunity comes. Yeah. yeah. And that's an important note. When I, back to that first property that I was looking at buying, I had heard a guest on the podcast and I really wish I could remember who it was. I, I don't know who it was, but at the end, of it, I really connected with this guy or reson- you know, what he said resonated with me. And at the end of the podcast, he gave his phone number mm. and said, yeah, call me up, you know, whatever. So I called the guy and he spent like 15 minutes talking to me and I was telling him, Hey, I'm looking at buying in the Midwest, you know, I'm looking at turnkey stuff and, but there's also stuff on Maui. Like there's just a couple buildings here where I could actually buy and make sense, but it's kind of a low D class sort of area. And the conclusion, what he, he motivated me to invest in my own market. And I think the the reason a lot of people ask this question, right? Like, should I buy turnkey? Should I buy Midwest? Should I do that? Or should I, you know, personally, I think that it depends on how much time, effort and money and, you know, everything are you putting into real estate? Like, is this going to be your full-time job? Yeah. I mean, for me, I work easily 40 hours a week yeah. in real estate. This is full-time for me. I still have a full-time job yep. and I work 40 hours there and at least 40 hours in real estate. I'm probably averaging 80 to hundred hours a week for now, but that's why this is the right that's a good point. Me. If, if you I were a physician yeah. making 600 grand a year, this might be a completely different conversation because mm-hmm. you wouldn't be able to look for the deals in Maui. Or if I just wanted to, I wanted to invest in real estate, get a good return, but I only wanted to work on it like maybe three, four hours a week or something. Yeah. 
then Midwest could be a great option. Yeah. Or syndications, investing mm-hmm. in mobile home park syndications. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You know, yeah. You could put money if I, if I knew <laughs> anybody who had a fund. What I really love about what you're saying is this applies to real estate agents too. And what I found is that 80% of the business in real estate goes to the top 20% of the agents. Yeah. And the rest of the 80%, they struggle over the scraps of the other 20%. So what I tell people, this question comes up a lot when they say, should I get my license to so I can save money on my own deals? Mm-hmm. Like you're going to spend so much money to be a realtor and you don't know anything that you're doing. You you should not do it unless you're willing to fight to get in that 20%. It is mm-hmm. not worth doing unless your goal is to be one of the top 20% in the I market. Yeah. Otherwise, don't yeah. do it. And that's very similar to what you're saying. I will do this because I'm out there hustling, meeting people, marketing, learning condos. I'm in, I'm involved. You're on the board of the HOA, so you're going to find when that deal comes up that nobody else, you're going to know about it first. For you, it makes total sense to be buying the way that you're buying. Mm-hmm. But if you know yourself and you're like, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to work to get in the top 20%, then don't be stupid enough to put yourself in the arena and get clobbered by the people that are putting in the work. Yeah. yeah. And just to be clear, like I love this stuff and I'm so grateful for the you know, where the blessings that I've had in my life. And it's, I'm incredibly humbled to be on the show. Like this is, I never could have imagined this, this, (laughs) right? It's crazy. This did not just come from listening to a couple episodes, Mm -hmm. calling realtor and sending an offer. I mean, you get emails and texts from me all the time. I know you sleep with your phone on silent, so I do this, but (laughs) at midnight, 1am, right? Like 2am when I have to be up at 6am for work the next day, it's not, like easy. Right? Yeah. There's a lot of work that goes yeah, in. You're hustling. But I promise yeah. you, when Brandon saw how hard you work, he thought, I want to partner with that guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It wasn't because you offered to buy him a cup of coffee. It wasn't because you said, will you be my mentor? It wasn't because you said, hey, tell me what you need and I'll just see if I can help you. You showed I am about this life. I'm not here to talk about it. I'm here to be about it. And you impressed him over a period of time. And then we look for the same things, right? The best partnerships I get into, they didn't really get a whole lot of me for six to nine months. I wanted to see do you have what it takes to be good here? Because yeah. we know how hard this is. It is not easy to make a lot of money to be in that top 20% of people. And what you showed was, I don't care, I'll do it. Whatever it takes is where I'm going to get there. And that's what people need to show. If you want to come work for me, if you want to come work for Brandon, we want to see that you're actually committed to doing whatever it takes. Because at the top of that hill, when you hit the 20%, oh my gosh, this is just like, would you want to do anything else with your life? Could you ever make this much money with this little formal education and this much time freedom? This is just the best place to possibly be at when you get good at investing in real estate. Yeah. For a long time, I wasn't, it wasn't important enough to me. I wanted to invest. I made the offers, you know, I, I was, I wanted to, but I still wanted to watch TV at night yeah. and I still wanted to go hang out with friends and I have almost zero social life, right? Like, <laughs> Does zero. this tie into the desperation we talked about earlier? Like you hit a point where you were just like, I'm desperate to be successful and I'll just do whatever it takes. Yeah. I mean, I don't know exactly what it was, but it was a gradual, you know, sort of like my recovery, right? Mm-hmm. It was just this process of realizing like, I have to do something. Mm-hmm. I have to be willing to go to the ends of the earth. Like yeah. there, there cannot be any length that I won't go. And I, I think about that a lot. I also think about where I came from because, you know, having experienced some of those things I talked about, I'm so incredibly grateful for the life that I have today. And, um, I, yeah, there's nothing I wouldn't do to continue this journey and and path that I'm on. I, I just won't settle. So I love that. What's your process like when a deal crosses your desk? Well, uh, right now it's, uh, something we're working on. It's, you know, we've been scaling. I'm not somebody that's really great at 
coming up with sy- systems and, mm-hmm. and implementing them. I'm good at following them once I have them and, you know, uh, get used to them. But I think you're better than you think you are. Yeah. But, yeah. I think you're good. Uh, at it. Well, even without but, the systems, just tell me what are all the pieces that you have to figure out to know if you want to pursue it? Yeah. The number one thing I would say is we get a deal. We got to figure out how much we can get it for and if it can meet the profit yeah. requirement mm-hmm. that we have, which right now is just a, as a general guideline, it's a hundred grand. Yeah, but flip, this is really helpful. Flip, yeah. This is the whole uh, profit first by Mike Michalowicz idea, yeah. right? Like we want to make a hundred grand. We're going to start there. Now let's work backwards. Yeah. We're, we're, we're making a hundred grand. What can we pay? What can our rehab be? Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. So that, and then for me on my rentals, it's 15% cash on cash return and uh 20% equity okay. after all expenses. So, and that's kind of a general also on, on the flips, you know, we've mm-hmm. got to be around 70% or so uh, total cost. Uh, the ARV. So that's a kind of general guideline. We, we're still kind of narrowing that down and getting more, uh, you know, specifics because a hundred grand profit would be great on a $400,000 condo. Mm-hmm. Yep. It might not be so good on a $1.7, $4 million yeah. house. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it diff- yeah. it's going to differ a little bit, but yeah. yeah, but I think you're, like I said, I think you're better at the systems than we think. And then you maybe think you are. Cause like you, you process this stuff through and you get through it. And maybe it's just like, just hustle. I mean, you just do a lot of hustle to get through, but a couple of things that we're working on, for example, like I know like a big part of our life, cause we're sending direct mail marketing where we're using a uh, open letter marketing, uh, Justin Silverio's yeah. company. So open letter marketing, check them out. Yeah. Uh, they're yeah, awesome. Doing a great job. Yeah. Actually, so, I, yeah. yeah. And I'll just mention, yeah, please. I've done a few direct mail campaigns. Yeah. This direct mail campaign, uh, this is my first time working with Open Letter. Yeah. The response rate's been incredible. Yeah. Yeah. They're really good. They, they're I really like their job. stuff. Yeah. So Open Letter Marketing, we're doing that. And then we, so that's a system we have set up now that we're not doing our, we're not printing letters. So that's a system. We have called, we just signed up for uh, Call Porter. Uh, there's a company that uh, they'll actually take phone, they're a real estate agent, real estate investing company who like trains people to take phone calls. Mm-hmm. And set uh, appointments. Yeah. Yep. And then, and set appointments. So we don't have to answer every, every single phone call. We have uh, Deal Machine, the app Deal Machine on our phones. Which I love we, Deal Machine. Yeah. Which you drive around, drive for dollars. But what's cool about that is that we have other people now in our business that are going to, that are able to use Deal Machine to be able to go around and work under our account. Like you're on my account. So when I find a deal or you find a deal, it goes into the same thing. It sends out a postcard if we want it to, or we can just use open letter. So there's a few of these systems we have in place, which is super cool. So again, I think you are really good at the systems thing. We just, we're building them as we go. Now I do want to cover one more thing before we move to the deal deep dive. And that is this idea of how we started flipping together. Cause we're making good profit. I mean, we made an average of a hundred grand on each of the two flips we just did on condos, like, mm-hmm. which was great. But what's fun is like, I don't have to do, like I do hardly any work of like, I don't show up at the condo very much. Like I have really like an easy job. I mean, I'm totally taking advantage of you. It's great. Yeah. Uh, but you, the reason you don't have to put much money in, I mean, other than the little bit of money that, cause we didn't have our checking account set up at the very beginning. So I, I was, money in. yeah, I mean, technically you had like what pay for a, uh, yeah, a I fridge and I, yeah, yeah, I could have come and gotten a check from you. Correct. Yeah. It was more like the hassle of not I having a checking account, I, I, you know. but basically you're flipping for no money down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm putting the money in, but I'm, I'm flipping with no work down almost at all, which is great. No work work down. Yeah. WD. Yeah. (laughs) You you should have a book called no work down. Uh, the reason I just want to say, and we'll move on because we make this point a lot on the podcast. The reason we were able to do that is because you bring the most rare and valuable skill to a real estate investor 
the deal. Mm-hmm. You bring great deals. So you can flip with no, you can invest with no money on all day long. Just like find a good enough deal that you can bring a partner into a deal. And you don't even you like like it, it could be a, it doesn't have to be a flip. It could be a rental. It could be a, even a wholesale thing if you mm-hmm. if you needed to work that. It's the asking how do I get it done? So you can are you able to flip now because I put the money in. And we're also using uh, like I'm not even putting all the money in. I, I'm putting the down payment and the rehab costs. Mm-hmm. We're borrowing from uh, Keiko Keiko Cap Keiko Capital. Yeah, Corey Nomoto. Yeah, Corey Nomoto who's been on the podcast before. I mean, he's been great at funding us, giving us great deals and, and yeah. helping us acquire these deals and do these flips. We also, you know, you mentioned when some wholesaling. Yep. If a deal doesn't fit our numbers, we yep. wholesale it. Yep. We are very conservative, so we don't do a deal if yeah. we don't feel very, very confident that yeah. we're going to make money. So, uh, yeah, we also assign deals to other investors, uh, people that want to rent them. It, you know, some like right now I've got one we just assigned. We were looking at trying to flip it. The seller was so firm on the price. We could not get him down to where we needed it to be to make it work. So yeah. we said, okay, we'll do your price, put it under contract and found another investor that is buying it as uh, actually his son's a contractor. He's going to m- move here, live in it and yep. Rehab so they can spend more money because yeah. like, yep. yeah, other people's yeah, stories exactly. aren't always what our story and he's is. paying like, all cash. Yeah. Too. So, so we're that, paying. That's the, the answer to the objection of why would I want your deal if it wasn't good enough for you? Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. because people have different scenarios. Like if you're paying cash, if you can do the work yourself, like you can have really good deals. And a lot of people might be totally happy with making 50 grand on a flip. Yeah, exactly. Right? And we want, we want hundred because we're splitting it. Yeah. yeah. You and I are splitting things 50, 50 at the end of the day. So we yeah. want to make sure we're getting good money. So, all right. So that, I just want to make that point again. If you're, if you're listening to this show right now and you're struggling with getting that first deal, cause you don't have any money just focus on the deal part focus on finding a deal and network go to bigger pockets events just like you did build relationships don't be weird about it don't be like you know like just build relationships friendships with people and you will find people who have more money than time and if you have more time than money or more skill than money then bring that in uh, i never yeah. actually asked you to do flips with me yeah. or partner or anything like that i think i you asked know, you i was yeah. sending you deals all the time yeah. but i was sending them for you i was like here check this out like yeah. here's a screaming deal blah blah because blah, i didn't have the funds for the down payment. And I just wasn't confident enough to take that kind of leap, you know, buy something for a million dollars when I'd been buying stuff for a hundred thousand. So I would send in new deals. And and for some reason you asked me (laughs) to meet one day. Yeah. We went to threes bar and grill out. I'm going to start, we're going to be, we're doing flips on Maui and I want you to be in charge of the flipping on Maui. Yeah. I mean, like, honestly, like you were sending me all these deals, but I don't want to just go do something by myself. So I remember actually Ryan and I having this conversation is we're trying to build this open door capital, which is the mobile home park business. We're trying to raise money from accredited investors and all this fun stuff, but fund stuff and fun stuff. But we need, we need team members, employees to be able to run this thing. So we're like, well, how do we make more money? Well, let's start flipping on Maui. Well, I don't have time to flip on Maui. Like that's a lot, but I have, I have some cash. Like I have, I have a chunk of change. I was like, well, let's just see if Greg wants to flip with us and we'll just partner with Greg and we'll work together and we'll just have Greg do all the flipping. So anyway, that's how that kind of started. So we, we, again, we saw in you that hustle and that drive. And so then we were like, well, let's just do this flipping thing. And it's been working just awesome since. So, Which is really interesting and hum- again, humbling for me because I still don't get it. And when you brought <laughs> me there and you told me this is what we want to do and we want you to do you know, basically you're going to run the flips yeah. and I'm just going to fund them and you're going to do all the work, find the deals, do the flips, everything. And I was like, okay, first off, how many people are you interviewing for this position? <laughs> and yeah, there's a lot, wasn't there, Ryan? I was like, and there's like you, hundreds. you no, said, no, was like, nobody. Yeah, you were like, you. it's just you. It's like, either you do it or we're not going to do it. Yeah, that's what it was. And I sat there for a minute, silence. And I said, well, <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> what's wrong with you? Like, <laughs> 
It just you gets, like, realize like I'm a total newbie. Yeah. I nah. don't know what I'm doing. I'm buying. You had you know, been being like, interviewed for the six months that you were sending him deals. Yeah, pretty much. You were persistent. That's exactly what <laughs> that's it was. What that was. I didn't even know that until right now. Oh, yeah, that's funny. The podcast actually. That's funny. That's kind of maybe that's how busy well, people that's, like us are. We're not going to sit there and interview 25 people. That's you like, know we've learned that from like David uh, David Osborne a yeah. lot. Like in Go Abundance, like David Osborne is big on that. Like he just sees how people are and then brings them into his world. Um, because the truth is like like good people is the number one best investment you can possibly make. It's the best investment is good people. It's better than real estate, better than anything. And so one thing David and I talk a lot about is like, we need people, like good people around us. And you can't, a, 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 a resume is a lie. Like yeah. I never buy a resume. Like I, I don't even think I, like Mike is here right now. Like you sent me a resume. Mike is off camera, but he sent me his resume. I, I honestly don't think I read it. I don't think I even looked at it. Like, I mean, I'm glad, I'm like, oh, it's a resume because like resumes are just like, like a, I don't know. What do you call a highlight reel? It's just like looking at someone's yeah. Instagram and thinking that's what their life's like. Yep. Yeah. Resumes are worthless. Like let's instead. So Micah managed uh, the the bookkeeping actually for our flips. That's how Micah ended up getting in the world because we, you only know how someone's going to be once they start working with you. Yep. That's the only way, you know, so get people into your world, get them to start working for you. Uh, and it's a gigantic job interview or not even job, it's just partner interview. So anyway, thank Speaking you for of all people. I can't believe I haven't mentioned this yet, but we talked about my addiction. We talked about all, all this stuff. I owe it all to my mom. Mm, so yeah. my, I'm, you know, I would, there's no doubt in my mind that I would not be where I am and not even anywhere close. If it wasn't for my mom, my mom is just the most unbelievable, incredible woman alive. She's the strongest, you know, she's gone through obviously losing her husband. She's gone through all kinds of challenges. Me, uh, yeah. I put her through yeah. just horrible torture along with the rest of my family, but she fought for me. She never gave up on me. She never got, you know, fed up with me. She, she saved my life. I owe everything to her. And that's one of my whys, right? My, yeah. my, big, my big motivation. And uh, on my vision board, there's a picture of, you know, my mom's on there because one of my purposes is that I want to get, you know, she lives in Miami. I live in Maui, other side of the world. I need to get to where I can go out to Miami two, three times a year, fly her out here two, yeah. three times a year, spend more time with her. And, and I also want to get to the point where she doesn't have to worry about her car payment. Her, her house is paid off. So that's good. But, um, I want her to be able to go wherever she wants and do whatever she wants in her Which that know, makes retirement. That makes it more meaningful too. Like, even the, the, the fact that I, I saw your Instagram post a few weeks ago and it was you and your mom in our, in our flip, right? Like oh, that yeah. when she was in there, you put that somewhere anyway. I just thought that was, yeah. Super cool, man. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, all right. So this has been one of our longest shows we've done in a long time here on the podcast. We could keep talking forever, but we got to move this thing on. So I want to shift gears here and head over to the deal deep dive. All right. This is the part of the show where we dive deep into one deal that you've done. Uh, and I'm not exactly sure which one you want to talk about, but you got something in mind? Yeah, I was thinking we'd talk about this one rental condo that I bought that I think okay. was kind of my job interview okay. with you guys. Okay. I asked Ryan to come along with me uh, when that I met with funny. the seller, and I just kind of wanted him to be like a wingman and kind of help me out on it. I thought he might have some, you know, I don't know. I thought it'd be yeah. fun too, right? All right. And so let's, uh, yeah. Let's pick it apart. So first one, first of all, it's a condo you said here in Maui. Mm -hmm. so that's what it is. Second question. How'd you find it? That's the first one. We don't we usually have our notes. Yeah. How'd you find the deal? There we go. That one, the seller called me up from, again, not any particular met source. It was, I think, a result of networking, talking, telling people what I do, 
having a website, sending out postcards. Like I think one of her neighbors had seen my post. She had mentioned my postcard. That's cool. She had heard about me from the association and other owners. So it was. Multiple. And you had a reputation and you hit her multiple touch points. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. I was covering all the bases. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Okay. So you found the deal that way. What was the price? They were at, uh, what did so you first want? First time she called me, I asked her what she'd like to get out of it. And at that time, the average sales price in the building was about 120,000. They're all two bedroom. They're, you know, almost all identical. Yeah. So the values don't fluctuate drastically. They go from maybe 105 to 140, 50, a couple of really fancy ones, a little higher. So uh, asked her what she wanted. She said, she was like, um, maybe like 50. And I just stayed silent. And then she said, or maybe like 30 to 50. <laughs> And I'm just like, oh my God. <laughs> oh. Okay. <laughs> but it was, it was needed a lot of work, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. It was bad. And so she was in a situation that like, I also wanted to make sure that I wasn't being sleazy and, you know, just yeah. not, I want to make sure I can sleep with myself at night and I'm not taking advantage of this person's situation. She had inherited this unit. She was exactly what you described before. She was physically going and picking up the rent every month. Uh, the tenant mm. wasn't paying the rent. She was, yeah. they were a month behind. They weren't paying. They weren't paying, she was paying their electric bill and they had really high electric bills and she owed thousands there. She was just, it was a disaster and she just wanted it gone. And so, you know, it's like, just so you understand, like these things are selling for a lot. You can fix this up and sell it for 150 pretty easily. But to her, I, I was buying her situation. And so I got a great deal because I was willing to take on that challenging situation. What was the final price you paid then? 30,000. Okay. All right. So you just explained how you negotiated it. So we don't have to ask you that. Um, how did you fund it? I paid cash for that one at the time. So uh, I don't know if I mentioned that I don't take any profits from my business. The Porsche was the first time I've actually taken profits from a business. That was my way of rewarding myself from one of our flips, but all the profits, all the cash flow flips, wholesales, everything stays in the business and it grows and I buy a property and then you know, it goes down and I don't do a lot of actual technical burrs because I don't refinance. Mm-hmm. I actually haven't really refinanced any of them. I like to have the equity and yep. um, uh-huh. yeah, a little more secure. I'm not a big, uh, I'm pretty risk adverse, I'd say. So sure. anyways, uh, so I had saved up about 35,000 at the time and was about ready to buy my next deal. And was that was going to be my down payment because I was putting down on these condos 20 to 25,000, somewhere around there. And so I had the cash, I bought it cash and I then refinanced it or or actually took a HELOC out Mm -hmm. on that one. Oh, cool. uh, Right after closing. All right. So I was going to ask then, what did you do with it? You kept it as a rental then? Yeah. And actually, so this is something important to me is like I mentioned, I like to try to give back and help people. And the, the tenants in this unit are good people. They were not good tenants before because she was not a property manager. The old owner didn't know, yep. you know, she wasn't the right person to be the property manager. I stepped in and I told the tenants, I made it very clear. This is the way it goes. This is the way. Yeah. Pay <laughs> <laughs> your rent. Yep. You communicate, you know, and I, I laid out the ground rules, made it very strict and stern yeah. and said, and if you treat me well, I will treat you well. I will do everything I can to help you. I, I go about Christmas trees for my tenants. I've like, you know, I try and be a really good landlord, but I am very strict. You yeah. have to pay your rent on time and you have to communicate with me. And they have paid every month on time. They're very good tenants. The 
guy, it's a guy my age and his mom, who's elderly and is very, very sick with cancer. Mm. They came from China, I believe, and they don't have anybody here. The dad died when he was young and they've lived in this unit for 20 years. And so this is important to me because they have, you know, he's, he, he's a paints cars for a living. They don't have a lot of money. They don't, they would have nowhere to go. The units rented way below market value, um, market rents. And I was able to give back in that particular case by allowing those tenants to stay. I didn't, you know, if I had rehabbed it, I would have to kick them out to rehab. I can't rehab with the lady in there with cancer and her condition. She's very fragile. Um, was able to keep them in place, keep their rents in place, which is 1200 a month. Uh, the market rents in the building are 17 to 1800. So I didn't raise their rents. I'm really proud of that. Really happy. Just, I'm really happy that I get a chance to help them because I, I feel pretty confident that most of the other buyer, most people, if she had list that thing or sold it, it, yeah. The majority of buyers would either kick them out, renovate it, or just raise the brands. So. Well, if I can make one quick point here, and I, I don't want to spend a lot of time in this because it's the, the kind of fast moving part of the show. But what's interesting is that the woman before you or the person who owned it before, I think you said woman, but the person before, like she wasn't managing the property correctly. So a lot of times when people say there's a bad tenant, I would say half the time it's a bad tenant. And the other half of the time, it was not professionally managed because like, it's one of those things like, for example, you think you're being a good landlord by not charging a late fee. What that does to people is they make them pay later and later and later because they deprioritize that pretty soon they're three months behind. And now you have a bad tenant, but it's not the tenants. I mean, yes, it's the tenant's fault, but it's really your fault as a landlord because you let them get behind because you didn't charge them late fee. <laughs> so what I'm going with that is by being a good, strict landlord, landlord by knowing what you're doing, by knowing that's a skill you have to learn by reading books, by talking to landlords, by listening to podcasts, like tenants actually become a lot better and they can actually be good, great tenants mm-hmm. uh, as long as you do your job of managing. So yeah. And you're doing a disservice to the tenants. Yeah. Very I, much. So you are, first you are hurting them couple, yep. and I let them slide all the time yep. and they left. And that was my worst experience with a tenant so far, um, yep. cost about $3,000 but that's a disservice. They were a young couple. Now they think that all landlords are going to let yep. them slide every month. Yep. Yeah. Your, yeah, your niceness actually hurts them long-term. It, the it works the same way with employers and employees. Mm-hmm. If the employer's too nice on the person because they're afraid they're going to leave them a bad rating on something yeah. or <laughs> yeah. like, then the employee gets used to the fact that they showed up every day. They started coming in later and later. They started working less and less. Yeah. That person's work ethic is ruined for the rest of their career yeah. until yeah. some other employer comes along yeah, and retrains them. And Jocko talks about that in extreme ownership. He says, there's yeah. no bad teams, only bad leaders. Yeah. And you're the leader. If you're the employer, or if you're the landlord, you're yep. setting the tone. So yep. don't feel bad about holding people accountable. Accountability yeah. is one of the, the best ways you can love another human being. Yeah. All right. Last question of the deal. Deep dive. What did you learn from this deal? Oof, I learned a whole lot about HELOCs. Okay. That was my first HELOC. So, um, and that stands for? Home um, equity? Yeah. Home line equity of line of credit. Yep. Yeah. So the outcome of the deal was I bought it for 30,000 to got a HELOC for 76,000. Oh, that's and awesome. And it still cash flows 500 a month or so. <laughs> And so, yeah, that's great. It was a home run and I'm helping the people. So it's just all around win, win, win. And the seller is stoked. Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't (laughs) deal with that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Very, very cool. Well, uh, that was a great deal. I like that one. Uh, But before we get out of here, we got one last segment of the show to get to. It's time for our famous four. All right. The famous four. These are the same four questions we ask every guest every week. And we're going to throw them at Greg now. So Greg, famous four, number one, what is your... Let's hear what's going on this week over on the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast. 
Hey there, Brandon and Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast listeners. This is Jay Scott, your co-host for the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast. And this week on the Business Podcast, we have Ryan Novak. He is a young entrepreneur who took a business that he had been working in since he was 15 years old, bought it with not a penny out of his pocket, and has turned it into a seven-figure empire. Got to check out Ryan and check out his awesome business called chocolatepizza.com. Check it out this week on the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast. Now, back to your famous four. All right, we're back. Now, let's get to the famous four. Number one, Greg, favorite real estate related book? A little cliche, everybody says, but The Millionaire Real Estate Investor okay. by Gary Keller. It's not as cliche as you would think. Not, I yeah, thought you were going with Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Right yeah. And that, you know, that was a really made a big impact on me too, but yeah. early on. But, yeah. All right. What about your favorite business book? Okay, so I'm actually not a big reader, but okay. Audible is yeah, my sure. best friend. But I would say uh, Never Split the Difference. Mm, got it right here. Yeah. It's funny. I noticed Never Split the Difference is splitting your books. The difference. Yes, that's, that's exactly that's right. That's what that's Very clever, there. Brandon. I'm Thank sure you, you meant to do that. Uh, that's exactly what I meant to do. Number three. What are some of your favorite hobbies? Surfing. Surfing. Greg goes surfing like every day, like pretty much every day. Um, yeah, I would say six and a half days a week. Yeah. That's crazy. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So surfing and real estate yeah. and family. Yeah. He's um, a phenomenal. And my surfer. dogs. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Very cool. And cars and driving. In your new Porsche. Mm-hmm. Greg, what do you think separates successful real estate investors from all those who give up, fail, or never get started? I don't think there's one thing. I think there's a lot of, you know, everybody's different. Everybody's got their own path and what motivates them. I can only speak from my experience. And from my experience, like we discussed, it was that desperation. It wasn't until Mm -hmm. I had the desperation. It wasn't until like I had just been working the nine to fives, working and working and working and got, you know, there was just years and years of that where I was not happy and and knew that I had to find another way, but it wasn't desperate. So it wasn't until I got desperate that I I became willing to do anything. All right, man. And I love my job. I have a great job too. I yeah. still have my day job and I love it there. And um, I learn a lot. It's very valuable too. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, it was really valuable in our last flood <laughs> when it flooded. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. What's your day job like right now? Just yeah. Actually, aware. quick shout out to Premier Restoration Hawaii. Yeah. Um, we're a disaster restoration company. We deal with water damage, mold, sewage, fire, smoke odor, and all that uh, yeah. cleanup. So when we had a flood, in the yeah. middle of renovating. Yep. Actually, as we were finishing the renovation in our last condo, yeah. the drain pipe collapsed completely underneath the concrete foundation in our first floor condo and the entire place flooded oh. and what could have been a very long and very expensive setback yeah. ended up, uh, yeah, our, my ex- relationships and experience in, in disaster restoration yeah, took care uh, of that. helped us a lot there. Yeah. yeah. Well, nice work, man. This is very good. All right. So if anybody wants to intern with you guys or they have a deal in Maui that they want to bring your way, like what's the best way to get a hold of you? Uh, they can email me. Uh, we are definitely looking for people that are desperate <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and eager and and completely committed to cool. doing this. Um, if you're not really completely committed, it's probably more of a waste of time, but um, yeah for yourself as well, but they can email me. My email is greg at mauihomebuyers.com. So that's G-R-E-G at mauihomebuyers.com. 
M-A-U-I-H-O-M-E-B-U-Y-E-R-S. Com. It's very correct. I was reading it off your shirt as you know, <laughs> Yes. So. That's the first time I've tried to you nailed recite it, yeah. it without. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, thank All you right. so much for joining us. This is really, really good today. It was thank awesome. Thank you. Cool. All right. Well, David, yeah, this was a great show. This was good. Uh, what was your Instagram handle, by the way? At yeah. Maui Homebuyers. All right. He oh. is at Maui Homebuyers. Brandon is at Beardy Brandon. I'm at David Green 24. And make sure you're following at Bigger Pockets as well. There's yeah. really good stuff posted on there. There is. Uh, that being said, this is David Green for Brandon, the Bayan Hawaiian Turner, signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the Bigger Pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R, today and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.